and we're live. Uh, this is podcast number two that's going to be published on the Tells podcast. Uh, I've got a good mate of mine, Kyle KG, as we call him, here with me today. How are you, mate? Good, thanks, Pete. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, gave you a call probably a few weeks ago now and said I want to start churning out more content. I value your opinion. I don't know why, but yeah. Uh, so I thought I'd bring you into the Tells um, team for a while and just spitball a few ideas. Yeah, I think we spoke about it, talking about um, some more current topics. Yeah. Some more things that are more related to what's happening these days, um, a bit going on at the moment. So yeah, just jump on, have a chat about it, see what you think, probably disagree with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think when, when I spoke to you... <clears throat> At Tells, we're trying to be very um, content pillar focused. So we're trying to focus on specific pieces of content um, in campaigns. So each month we'll focus on a specific content pillar. But what you suggested and you know, what I definitely agree with is that we can be a medium for our customers or for our followers that provide updates and commentary on current affairs. So I don't think we're a news platform, but we can provide our little spin on things and mm kind of uh, make difficult concepts more digestible to our listeners so yeah well i mean it's quite often talked about the what but not also not so much the why so yeah it's good to just have a bit of a chat about the why and yeah and why things are happening agree agree um before we get started are you able to give a quick debrief of what you do um, what your experience is anything you want to throw in the fold yeah so well, a bit like yourself any just a normal knockabout Aussie bloke but battler <laughs> yeah just a battler loves a, loves a beer and a punt uh, at the moment I'm working for Cordina uh, look after all the procurement and logistics across uh, all three of our sites um, up the coast and based around Sydney uh, I've been doing that for a few years um, again a bit like yourself like a little cheeky dabble in the share market every now and then and um, keep an eye on the property market and all the news and current affairs and, and what's happening around the world and did you go to uni did not know we will touch on that later about um education and on the job learning and um, different types of experiences you can get outside of university yeah so um yeah we'll, we'll touch on that i'm keen just to understand so you pretty much came out of high school got a job at cordina no, no. So out of high school, um, I worked for a couple of smaller companies yeah. um, in a similar sort of role as what I'm doing now. Um, then I started at Coca-Cola Amatool, based yeah. in Northmead. Um, again, around the whole procurement, logistics, um, supply chain side of things. And then a couple of years there, three, four years there, then, yeah, found myself in my role um, that I'm in now, which is slowly grown um, into a group role across the business. Yeah, right. Cool. Awesome. All right. Let's, um, so we're going to go through a few topics today. I'm going to try to keep this under an hour, which is generally hard, but the four topics that we want to get through today, um, the first one is COVID, but more specifically the impact that JobKeeper and JobSeeker have had on our Australian economy. So I just want to break down, I suppose, um, a few of the changes that have been recently announced by the government, my thoughts on those changes. Um, and yeah, I just want to break down that concept a little bit. The second one is the stock market. So the ASX performance, um, I've got a few stats around 
the ASX that I, I wanted to highlight today um, and wanted to get your views, KG, on where you think the stock market is and where you think um, it'd be smart to invest in the stock market at the moment. We'll then um, go on to investment properties versus buying your own house. Um, I personally have an investment property. You personally have purchased um, your first house. So I just want to, I suppose, get your view on why you did that instead of getting an investment property and what the pros and cons of both are. Um, and then finally, we'll go into study. So formal study versus acquiring on the job experience and um, why you decided to go down the path of no university versus myself going down the path of university uh, and equally whether I, we both feel that was the right decision. Then if we have some time, um, I want to have a little debate around why I think the government stimulus package, job seeker and job keeper probably wasn't the best way to approach things. Um, I think there were some flaws in how they approached that, but uh, I might touch on that in our first topic. Anything else you want to cover, mate? Mate, that sounds like everything. So Sweet. let's get into it. What do you got for me? Um, cool. So hot off the press as of yesterday, uh, ScoMo, your man. <laughs> My guy. <laughs> your guy um, announced some changes to JobKeeper and JobSeeker uh, occurring from the 1st of October and going through to the, 20, um, to the end of March, I believe, in 2021. So they extended JobKeeper and JobSeeker for another six months, but it was more targeted. So just some numbers here for everyone. Uh, these numbers are JobKeeper numbers. So JobKeeper is ultimately the people that, uh, well, they've subsidized the employer so those people can retain or sustain their jobs. So uh, there's not a really high unemployment rate. The current rate for job keeper is seven hundred and fifty a week, or fifteen hundred a fortnight. Um, from the twenty eighth of September, it'll be dropped down to twelve hundred a fortnight. If you're working under twenty hours a week, or seven hundred and fifty a fortnight, if you're working over twenty hours a so week, remaining the same basically. If you're under twenty hours a week, yeah, yeah. ultimately, yeah. Um, and then. From the 4th of January, it drops to 1,000 a fortnight from 1,500 a fortnight. Um, if you're over um, the 20 hours a week threshold and if you're, sorry, if you're under the 20 hours a week threshold and then if you're working more than 20 hours a week, it goes to 650 a fortnight. So in reality, um, what they've done is they've scaled it back according to the volume that you're working. Yep. At the moment, it's a really big blanket approach. Yep. Uh, pretty much every Tom, Dick and Harry is getting 750 a week. So um, yeah, what, what's your thoughts on, on the changes and even the stimulus package as a whole? Well, I think the thing to remember here is that um, COVID sort of crept up on everyone or you know most people sort of fairly suddenly. Mm. So it's to develop a complex fiscal policy like like a stimulus package like job keeper or job seeker yep. takes you know the general government would take it 12 months 18 months to forecast budgeting and all that type of stuff so yep. i think that given the short amount of time um it was very very difficult to come out with a mean test means testing um and 
it was basically just short-term policy. So yeah. on the run policy, you might call it, which has to be done yeah. with uh, limited and, I guess, vague information. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, ScoMo was very fast to implement something that uh, ensured that our economy didn't plummet. Uh, equally, I reckon if we're five years ahead of where we were right now, our data and analytics capability probably would have allowed us to means test a little bit more effectively. Um, but we're on that brink right now where I think we could have tried to means test or do more analytics around um, the means testing, but it just would have taken a little bit longer. So speed to market um, mm. was critical here. So I agree with it. Um, another interesting stat I'll throw at you or yeah, where is it? I've written it down here somewhere. Um, it said, oh yeah, over one in four Australians were receiving a pay rise on average of $550 a fortnight. Yeah, it's good for some if you can get it, isn't it? That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah like I said, it was policy on the run, so it's it's hard to, it's hard to be critical of it, but um, at the same time, I guess... You know, the majority of people that were receiving uh, was an extra 500 bucks a week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the majority of those people... A fortnight. Would, yeah. A fortnight. So, the majority of those people would fall into, I guess, the lower side of the socioeconomic status, which would, um, you know, to give you an understanding or to give the people an understanding. Generally, it's, it's, it's a general view by the government that the less you earn... Uh, the more you're going to spend, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the less you earn, the more the more portion of your income you're likely to spend. Yeah. So, um, if you earn two grand a week, you you're probably pretty good at saving. You you're probably a pretty switched on person. If you earn a job keeper, mm. seven fifty a week, you're probably going to spend that seven fifty. Um, TAB is yeah. going to be stoked. <laughs> <laughs> no, we spoke about that earlier in the week with um, a couple of shares that I we have in Tabcorp that are, that um, sort of taken off a bit after on the back of their announcement of um, JobKeeper and JobSeeker being extended. Yeah. And that, that was pretty much for the view of the market that, the, as I just said, the people in the lowest socioeconomic status are more likely to spend their money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, I mean, I guess that, that can be viewed as a positive um, because the, the government doesn't intend for that JobKeeper or JobSeeker to be saved, mm. uh, whittled away into savings and save for a rainy day like... We want that money out there in the economy, and we want people spending it to, to boost in the areas, um, you know, hospitality, cafes, restaurants, those yeah. type of places that have that have suffered a lot from COVID. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the more I think about it, the more I, I agree with it. I cast my mind back to I think it would have been probably ten years ago. It might have been two thousand and eight recession. I remember mum got a stimulus payment of like $750 or $1,000. But that come to every single family, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, and so K-Rod. that was even less targeted. I think it was K-Rod, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's just like, here, have some cash, go spend <laughs> yeah. it. Um, and I never really understood the concept here. So at least there is, I uh, suppose, a targeted demographic yeah. um, as to who's getting the money. Uh, what annoyed me, I'll, I'll bring it up now, is do I agree with the stimulus packages conceptually? Yeah. Um, do I agree that people that were already on unemployment benefits increase their unemployment benefits um, from $615 a fortnight to $1,115 a fortnight? So 400 bucks a fortnight mm. purely because 
they were lucky with COVID, not mm. necessarily. And I think there was probably a little filter that could have been applied there to say anyone on unemployment before yeah. COVID oh, doesn't yeah. get that. Uh, yeah, I think in hindsight that would have been good policy. But I guess the government took a view at the time that uh, more people were going to be on job seeker, yeah, like immediately, yeah. Um, you know, and it was to, it was more. You know, it was more based around those people that were yeah. that they planned to go on Job Seeker for the you know foreseeable short term future, rather than the ex- people that were already on it. Yeah, like you said, it was a bonus for those people that were already chilling at home yeah. with no job. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you have to remember that these restrictions that have been put in place, you could argue that it's a restraint of trade in some way. Say, for example, yeah. if you're a Agree. a flight attendant. Um, you know, the government's basically puts policy in place to, to prevent you from working. Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, those type of people that own cafes, restaurants, and like I said, flight attendants, they have mortgages to pay. Yeah. Um, they have kids to feed. So yeah. to put that policy in place, which I said is a restraint of trade, and then to try and tell them to live off, I don't know what job seeker was before, 1100 a fortnight yeah. or something, $1,000 a fortnight is... You just simply can't do that. That's yeah. the impact, the long-term impact of that on the economy is much worse than what the short-term impact would be. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, an interesting other stat I read today, did a bit of research for this, <laughs> trying to sound smart, yeah. but um, so the it, it was the RBA, RBA come out today and said that unemployment is going to artificially rise before it, clients um, and the reason why they say that is the way that they calculate unemployment is a- amount of people actively seeking work um, through the COVID period there was a lot of people that weren't actively seeking work just purely because they knew that they yeah. weren't going to be able to get work whereas now that they can see an, an upswing people are actively seeking work so when you do the maths it's going to increase yeah no, that's true and I think um, as you touched on before with it, with those stages of it um, being sort of tiered and backed off a bit was it September and then again in yeah. January yeah yeah, so. um, yeah end of September so October start and then yeah. um, January tiered yeah. again yeah. yeah so that's based around just giving um, giving business confidence um, to get back out there in the market and employ people yeah um, you know rather than just uh, I mean the last couple of weeks we've heard about a lot on the news of you know JobKeeper's finishing in September and mm. A lot of a lot of people were nervous. A lot of businesses were sort of in the dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the announcements that come out this week of, of it being tiered down and scaled back, um, certainly certainly given yeah that confidence out there in the business market. Do you reckon they would have mm-hmm. announced the stimulus differently if they announced it in two weeks' time with what's happening in Melbourne and potentially Sydney with COVID cases? Um, no, I think that there's obviously people have been working around the clock, um, crunching mm. numbers, and, and this this announcement's probably been in the works for worst two, case. yeah, two or three months, um, and based around a worst case scenario. But that's, I mean, what's happened in Melbourne is unfortunate, but it, in a way, it's it's fortunate that we've been able to contain it based in that one state rather than it being sort of impacting the economy across. Yeah. Um, all the other states and territories. Yeah. Um, 
Cool. I think that's a really good wrap up. So in summary, uh, we agree with the premise of job keeper and job seeker. We uh, the government maybe could have been a little bit more financially uh, smart with how they delivered the stimulus, but mm. with smartness comes time delays, yeah. and so that could have yeah, had definitely. adverse impact. Um, I'll pivot, but I'll use a linkage to pivot Freudenberg. So the Treasurer of what is it? Liberal government. Yep. National, National Treasurer. Yep. He um he's coming out tomorrow to deliver pretty much an economic spill as to where we're at um, and what what deficit we're looking at. So it's been estimated that we could be um in a two hundred billion dollar deficit by the end of this year. We've already uh, spent two hundred and sixty bill, um, which is more than thirteen percent of our GDP on COVID up until this date. So uh, I think that announcement tomorrow is going to have an adverse impact on stocks um, in the short term. Would you yeah. agree? The, the key indicator is that you look for a market are mainly based around government stability, yeah. um, government announcements, um, infrastructure spends, all that type of stuff. And look, I mean, the the, the market at the moment has is, is definitely, definitely been heavily impacted by COVID mm. um, and the restrictions that have been placed around business to yep. operate um, and also I guess the the long-term economic outlook is probably pretty well known to a lot of people that stage to be dire um, mm. but I think one of the key factors in that is going to be unemployment I mean because what generally generates a good economy is um, employment yep. so like you touched on before GDP gross domestic product which is basically the amount of money a country makes, makes yeah, yeah essentially so the more people that are employed um the more money we can make as a well, the more money the country makes the more money business makes and you know the more prosperous the business is yeah. the more profitable it is and then therefore the more appealing it is for investors um basic yeah. demand of a share price more demand to invest and drives the price up so and likewise um less demand to invest can cost a lot of money yeah so i think just to kind of break down why unemployment is so bad um, for the economy first and foremost people aren't working that's not driving economic growth but the the larger impact that i actually see is the more people that are unemployed the less people that are paying tax to our government and subsequently Mm -hmm. the less um, budget our government has to spend and invest back into the economy so if you think of anything you have to spend money to make money um, and the Australian economy you should treat it as any large business if they're not making a profit or if they're not making enough uh, money from the economy it's mm-hmm. going to be hard to invest into the economy yeah yep um, so ASX just to get on to where where that's at so since the 2008 um, global financial crisis, GFC, we've pretty much been um, heading in the right direction in the ASX. So I've got some index numbers. Index is ultimately um, a measure that looks at the aggregate uh, capital value of our Australian stock market, our top 200 companies, which is 95% of our stock market. And the index number 19th of February this year, which was a high, an all-time high, was 7,144. On the 23rd of March, so just over a month, 
it dropped 36% to four four and a half thousand. Hurts. Um, hurts yeah. massively, but good opportunity yeah. equally. Yeah. Um, and it's currently sitting at 6,075 as of today, which is still a 15% decline from where it was in, in, on, uh, in February. Yeah. So they're the numbers. You want to break them down and kind of put your thoughts on what's happening with our stock market? Yeah, I think firstly, we just you need to remember that, um, I mean, the intrinsic value of a stock is only, it's only that value if, if you sell it. Um, yeah. Say for example, like you said, we, there was a fairly significant fall at the end of March. Yeah. Um, I mean, the value of that, any stock that was owned at that period of time was yes down. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you ride that out and you and you hold on to your stocks and you don't panic sell and and you know the the reality is that ma- majority of people would do that. Um, people like yourself and me that um, you know basically just are in it for a long term goal. You but trust the stability yeah, of the exactly, company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So short term traders um, who's already who it impacts the most and. Yeah. A lot of people would have seen the value of their superannuation drop quite significantly <laughs> at the end of March. But um, again, like you, that, if you write it out um, and you're not retiring yeah. within the next six to 12 months, then it's probably not the worst thing in the world. So I know it all sounds like dire straits on the news and yeah, and all the, all the you know websites and all, all that type of stuff. But the reality of it is it's only if you sell um, that yeah. you have a problem. So, so a few numbers for everyone. Um, a similar decline happened after the 2008 global financial yep. crisis, which everyone talks about. What no one talks about is the 36% gain yeah. the next year. Yep. Um, similarly, we've seen a similar thing here. It's bounced back um, nearly 20%. And on average over the last 35 years, on average, um, the stock market has grown at 10%. Yep. So that's when you talk the long-term game. As long as you're yeah. invested and you're confident in the stability, I think it was actually a really good opportunity and still a good opportunity to buy into uh, companies that you feel are going to be sustainable over time. Yeah. Do you want to touch on a couple well, that you think? Well, well, you and I spoke about it earlier in the week. I think um, there's certainly some opportunity at the moment. I mean, a bounce back in in the state of the economy is inevitable at some yeah. point. Um, and and we've, we spoke about we spoke about shares particularly in the tourism industry um, mm-hmm. that have bounced back just it's absolutely inevitable yeah. um, so for example we, we, we spoke about Flight Centre Webjet Qantas um, Accor those type of shares where I mean yes they're, they're, they're significantly down on what their value was in fe- February at the moment but as long as they stay afloat yeah exactly um, and I think both you and I have seen some opportunity in Qantas in the last couple of months um, when their share price has been significantly down yep. um, and as you just touched on as long as they stay afloat then I mean that bounce back is just inevitable isn't yep. it because at some point they're going to operate like they did before That's COVID so I mean it's just it's it's a good investment I think in those, that, that type of industry um, yep. but then I mean the tech industry as well um, with a lot of people working from home um Shares like JB Hi-Fi, um, data entry shares, um, you know, data collection shares like yep. Appen and, and those type of companies, yep. um, certainly great buys. But I mean, the, the tech side of things, it's, it could potentially be a bubble at the moment. Yeah, um, you see that in just, the US, it's a yeah, big bubble at the moment. Because I think a lot of people have, 
I mean, obviously that money's come out of those those shares in that hospitality and tourism industry, like we spoke about. Yeah. So that money's come out, and it's more likely being reinvested somewhere. But where that's yeah. being reinvested, whether it's gone into cash, um, who knows? But yeah. whether it's just gone into, like I said, tech shares or or other, you know, parts of the industry, that could, as I said, potentially be in a bubble. But um, it's yeah. all part of the game, isn't it? I I do get concerned when you see stock prices strongly increasing through a period of weak growth Mm. unless the company's growth is um, in alignment there is possibly a lot of speculation going into the price of those stocks so what do you got your eye on at the moment um i'm actually looking to consolidate a few of my stocks so i was speaking to you about this offline um my portfolio is pulling against each other at the moment so I've heavily invested into um, the airline travel industry um, and I've equally invested into the the long-term goal. Yeah, long-term goal travel industry, um, tech industry, a number of, all of my investments right now are are long-term. So I I won't name specific stocks because I I just don't want to give, I suppose, that advice. Um, I'm not a professional in this field, but... Everything that I've invested into, my principles are that those companies will be sustainable for the next 10 to 20 years and I've purchased the shares at a price that I think are extremely undervalued when I compare them to their pre-COVID states. So, Which again um, brings us back to what we were talking before um, about yourself and I um, looking at Qantas um, with... I mean, that Qantas is always going to be around, aren't they? Yeah, they're, exactly. They're, they're basically have, have been backed by the government. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah. To, you yeah. Know, that, and like I said, that bounce back factor when those restrictions are lifted is just a bit of a no-brainer for me. Yeah, well, what's encouraging, even since I've purchased Qantas, they've probably increased by mm-hmm. 10 to 12%. We haven't had bloody any flights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that, that's just consumer confidence. It probably would have been a little bit more if it wasn't for what happened down in Melbourne. Exactly uh, right. Um, and equally like what also impressed me is they cut a massive amount of jobs from Qantas and the market reacted positively as well Um, that's the last thing I'll touch on around stocks and and company performance I actually think um, COVID has been a really good opportunity for organisations to realise or cut the fat from their organisation so get rid of those employees that were useless um, and just were inefficient I think operations will be much more efficient yeah um, post-covid yeah i think it's definitely outlined um businesses and companies that have yeah. um, good management yeah. certainly i think that the, 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 that had the companies that had good structure and good management prior to COVID have certainly mm. thrived or, yeah. or done a lot better than others that, are, that don't quite have that yeah. management and had cash repositories yeah that's an interesting one yeah um, cash flow is big isn't it yeah um, all right, that, that's stocks. I think we could talk around that all day. The next topic I want to touch on is um, investment properties versus mortgages. So disclaimer, um, I <laughs> have an investment property, so I've got kind of in, an inherent interest in investment properties. Um, I purchased that when I was quite young um, with an ex-girlfriend of mine, and we still hold it today. And... Cole, you've got a mortgage with your fiance, so I might throw it over to you. Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on either either? Um, look, I think in, in 
property, bricks and mortar, is certainly um, a great investment, whether you're living in it or you looking to earn a rental income off it. Um, but I think it's probably down to uh, circumstances, um, what you can afford, yeah. what you can't afford, but also your personal circumstances. Like um, you touched on it, Ben, like yourself and I, um, you own an investment, I, I own a property which I live in, which we're sitting in at the moment. But the difference between that is, um, I guess, our personal circumstances. Yeah. You you still have the ability to live at home and, yeah. and use, you know, leverage off that and and earn a rental income from your property. Whereas, I mean, I ne- I essentially needed a place to live. Yeah. Um, so, I guess it was a no-brainer for me just to buy a place rather than rent, yeah. um, and then buy an investment. Which which again, like it's it's still not a bad idea. Rent vesting, um, as it's called, but. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of my take on it. It yeah. depends on your personal circumstances. Either or is a good idea. Like I said, any purchase of a property is hard to um, hard to you know discourage someone from doing. If you had um, fifty grand disposable income right now mm. and had the opportunity to purchase an investment, so ignoring other costs associated, that would allow you to purchase the investment versus. Um, investing that into any other asset whether it be stocks or commodities whatever it may be would you consider that or where would your strategy go i think if if 50 grand at the moment i'd I'd probably be holding on to it i think um at least yeah Yeah. i think i'd be holding on to it for one or two months um just to see what happens um in the economy over over the short term because i think house prices look like they're softening but I don't think it's as dire as mm. what's been reported um, yeah. you know since lockdown in April May when, when yeah. you know we, were t- we the CBA came out and we're talking 25-30% drop in house yeah. prices but I mean the reality of it is we just haven't seen that and in some some areas and in some suburbs of Sydney and, and the north coast have actually slightly increased Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of a tricky one at the moment in terms of where to put money because um, I think I certainly still think there's opportunity in shares um, but like I said you can never go wrong with property I mean it's much know, more stable isn't y- it? yeah exactly it's a lot less volatile than, yeah. than the share market and um, I know you touched on you know the growth of the share market mm. in the past 30 years um, property's not too far off it no. the, the difference is is probably a lot of ups and downs in the share market but yeah. property is probably a lot more up and almost no down um it's just sort of a, a steady slower growth um a more safe investment i guess exactly if you were to invest your 50 grand into another property your value of the property may differ by i'd say five percent each way yeah. over that period and ideally it would incrementally grow whereas if you invested 50 grand into shares you have the luxury of actually seeing the value of those yeah, shares change day to day yeah. and that's where like your confidence you shit yourself on one day and yeah. the next day you're like ah oh, that's looking it good. goes back to the it's you know the value of something's only really what yeah. someone's willing to pay for it isn't exactly, it exactly yeah, um, yeah. bit of a roller coaster what would you do with with um, if you had your time again yeah um, if you had your, your deposit for your house that you your investment now would you would you um, buy that investment or would you buy another investment or would you would you would you buy a mortgage and choose yeah. to live in that property? Uh, again, it comes down to personal circumstance. I don't think um, I'm not ready um, to book, like, get a mortgage. I, yeah. It doesn't phase me right now. So 
Um, I, I probably still would have um, purchased the investment at the value that it was at the time. Um, but equally, if I had a lump sum of money at the moment, I've got a cash repository um, kind of sitting there. So I'd be looking to stick 20, 25K into a into an ETF that yeah. just tracks the index. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty safe at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else on that? Um, no, I mean, we touched a little bit on property there, but I, I, like, I mean, that's very broad statements. There's a lot. There's a lot to be considered. Um, you yeah. know what, what what rental yields are looking at, and even yeah, like um, the concept of negative gearing yeah. and stuff yeah, like the that. The tax implications so, that that has on people. And yeah. Um, something you said with me stuck. Said to me stuck um, a couple of months ago now, around the actual need for um, people to purchase property versus renters uh, yep. so if everyone rented the economy wouldn't work yeah um, and equally if everyone bought a property yeah that's probably not going to work as well so yeah well that, that goes back to what we're ta- what i was saying at, at at the start was um we, we go a lot into the uh, to the what but uh, why mm. i mean a lot of a lot of people get a you know, there's a quite often negative connotation with, um, you know, sort of being a rich old white bloke that owned 10 investment properties and being yeah. able to avoid tax through negative gearing. Yeah. But the reality of it is, is that the government provides that kind of policy to allow people to have tax relief on it because yeah. the truth is we need rental properties, right? Yeah. We, ne- we need we need rich people to invest um, yeah. back into the property market. Like, you know, similar to yourself, if, if you didn't own your investment property mm. that would be one less property that exactly. a person who can't afford a property yeah. to live in yeah you know, wouldn't they wouldn't in. have a home so yeah. no I agree um I, I think what i'm learning as i grow up is like everything the government does everything the government taxes or everything the government provides relief on yeah. is strategic yeah um, and yeah we we quite often criticize yeah. um the government but yeah you know as well as i do this is a, you know a pretty good country to live in yeah, but, exactly. and it's all based around that those type of policies and tax relief and for certain people and and certain sort of socio-economic areas benefiting from um you know being able to essentially dodge tax i guess um final question on this so you touched on it before i agree i don't think house prices are going to fall anywhere near where they were expected and that's especially true because they've um, the big banks have just extended mm. their mortgage-free payment um, or yeah, dates, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, if you were in a position, uh, forget the dodginess associated with it, but uh, if you had just been re-employed and the banks gave you the option to extend... Um, your non-payment of mortgage for another six months yep. would you do it or like, do you think the implications of repaying that later are so bad over a long period yeah well I mean it sounds great in short term mm. doesn't it you get to live in a place for free or you get yeah. to you know save that money yeah exactly but um, I think that once you peel that all back and you look at it and you, you see that everyone's sort of praising the banks for you know saying oh, okay people can you know place their mortgages on hold for a certain yeah. period of time but what we need to remember is that 
you still have to pay that money back at yeah. some point and it's what's their agenda yeah exactly this? i mean i get it that that that's a, you know that is a, it is i guess looking after their customers by doing that but you we also have to understand that it's profitable for the banks yeah so basically they're still charging interest on the yeah, capital. So you're you're not hold. paying the capital down. Exactly. So they're just basically charging more, more interest than they would have exactly. generally done over a six month period or nine yeah. month period or however long your loan's on hold. So it is it is more profitable for the banks mm. um, to for people to defer their mortgage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I would be paying, I mean, I think, you know, as well as I do that, the quicker you can pay your capital down, the less the less the money costs you, essentially. Yeah. So if you do the quick maths in the calculator, um, a loan over 30 years, if you pay that off over 25 years, yeah. the amount of interest that you save on that loan is astronomical. So, yeah. 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 And those interests and those type of things are certainly, um, certainly isn't something that's, that's definitely taught in schools, but mm. I think yeah. it's important and it can save you money over a long, long period of time. Agree. All right. Um, we've been going for nearly an hour. But we'll touch on the final topic here, um, traditional study versus uh, work experience. So a bit of context, I finished school, uh, high school, and went and did a business and commerce degree at University of Western Sydney. As I was doing that, I was working in a call center for Woolworths and ultimately got my first job in the operations team of Woolworths. And... Uh, my career has kind of skyrocketed from there, from my opinion, through just experience on the job. Uh, KJ, you didn't go to uni. Was that a straight active into the decision? Workforce? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was. Um, I guess the decision just to go straight into the workforce was um, probably, again, just because I didn't, didn't really see myself going to uni, to be honest. Yeah. Um, sort of had had enough of school and... Yeah. You know, three or four more years of uni just wasn't for me. So, yeah, um, yeah straight in the workforce, and I think it's uh, again can come, come back down to personal circumstances and and what you want to do, and 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 particularly how you see yourself learning in the future. Whether you're a hands-on learning person or you're a mm. theoretical learning person, but, yeah, even if you're theoretical, one. yeah. Like, I don't know how that benefits you in a workplace. Yeah. Have you seen it? Have you seen really smart people or those with great degrees come into a workplace and not work well? No. Like my view on this whole thing is that, I mean, unless you're a, you know, you're studying something that's industry specific or specific to a role, then it's, you know, you're sort of just getting yourself into a whole heap of debt, um, you know, hex debt for... Mm very little return um yeah. yeah i think i mean it's it's hard to look past we'll put it this way if, if i was um you know someone in an interview and they were sort of you know they i thought they were equal candidates in terms of you know personality and how they would fit into a team then i'd be going for the person with more ex- mm. on the job experience rather than somebody who would just be fresh out of university yeah. but judging by you, you agree along similar oh, lines? No, I, yeah. I do wholeheartedly, yeah. Um, I I think there's a purpose for university degrees where they're required. So yeah, like a doctor or a heart doctor, surgeon. Yeah. Um, engineers to an extent. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure, definitely. But business and commerce, um, 
are stuff that you can learn mm. and i feel like the the curriculum at a university is extremely outdated um, yeah. these days on business operations marketing especially and stuff like that so yeah um, but yeah. I, I think um you know the way that uh, the Australian community set up is basically in, in two points it's either you know you learn mm. or you earn so yeah. you're a learner or you're an earner yeah um, if you can do if you can put yourself in a position to do both those things um, then that's that's definitely a strong a strong position to put yourself in so say for example if you can work 40 hours a week and, and learn on the job by studying 20 yeah. um, you know you can do that learning and earning at the same time and it's yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a lot more it's a lot more practical Agreed. to learn on the job. I'm all for upskilling. Don't get me wrong. Um, equally, I don't think people appreciate the budgets that companies have for learning and development. Yeah. So if you can get yourself into an organisation and determine the skills that you need to improve yourself with, if they can see value in you, they'll generally yeah. pay for those skills to be developed. Yeah, and you, I mean, you know, as well as I do that attitude is uh certainly outweighs education if you, if you got if you've got an employee that's just willing to put in the time and yeah. um in the effort um then you know that goes a lot further yeah. than a university degree does certainly yeah agree um theoretical or actually i want to get your view on this so the australian government wants to drive innovation um with students and so they give um, two options moving forward they give a $40,000 grant um, or hex debt ultimately, which is what it is today, or they give a $20,000, ultimately it's a hex debt, but... Um, a small business loan, is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, it's, it's given to yeah, young people to, to, to create their own business. Yeah, yeah I, think it, I think that's a good idea because, um, I mean, local business... Um, <laughs> And industry within Australia has certainly taken a hit over the years in terms of what the labour force is actually costing us. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that that incentive to uh, open up a business and operate within Australia and and, and employ people mm. um, who ultimately pay tax and, and pay that back to the government um, is certainly certainly a good idea. Mm. Um, I think you, we should talk. To, to old Josh Frydenberg about that and see what see if he can do anything. Uh, the, the feedback I've gotten from my mate Josh, no, <laughs> Josh, but feedback I've gotten is uh, people spend it wildly. And yeah. Look, don't get me wrong. Yeah. When you're young and dumb, there's true. There's that possibility, but um, I'm sure there's governance mechanisms. The same argument could be made uh, for hex debts. Exactly. People who do two out of four years and then drop out, yeah. and then you still ultimately exactly like, with right. a portion of that debt. Yeah. So. I mean, I guess, yeah, you could say the same, um, but certainly encouraging innovation is a good idea. Mm. Um, all right, pretty much end, but I allow any of my interviewees to ask me any question that you have. Do you have any questions for me? Um, yeah, so so tells. Um, mm. Obviously, you've... What's, what's, what's been the... I mean, I know everyone's sort of familiar with you know, starting up a business and what, yeah. what's involved there and how difficult it can be. Um, but I think what, what a lot of people underestimate is that that sort of three or four month period after the business has started it up and and what sort of, uh, how to keep motivated and, and, and the challenges that are 
that arise after that period of time. So, you know, what, what's it been going for now? Two, three? Yeah. Two, three, three months? months. Yeah. yeah. So what sort of challenges are you facing now that you didn't think you'd face yeah. um, at, at launch? Yeah. So I actually prepared this question. <laughs> oh. this. Um, so there's a book called The Dip by Seth Godin or Seth Godin, about a 90 page book. And it explains where I think we're at perfectly. So, um, you start something up, everyone's keen. It's similar to when you have a New Year's resolution. You go to the gym, you're keen as, you're motivated. Um, I think there's a big difference between motivation and, and passion. Um, and what we were initially were, we were motivated, yep. we were keen to start something up. Um, and everyone was keen, like, oh, this is a mad idea, blah, blah, blah. Everyone was pretty much blowing wind up our, our ass. Um, but after a certain point, you, you hit a lull, um, and you, you hit that dip. And I think we're going through it a little bit now. And it's, it's nothing bad, but um, everyone stopped blowing wind up your ass. Um, yep. Even engagement on our content and stuff like that has, has lulled. Uh, and so you start to question, oh, is it still valuable? Yep. What we're providing? Struggle to find that motivation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then, uh, well, the motivation's gone because you, don't, you can't maintain motivation. It's, yep. It comes down to whether you're passionate about it still yep. or not. Um, and so as a team we've been talking about this a lot like um, we feel like we're in a bit of a lull and it's just now ensuring that we're kind of very focused on our strategy um, and that we're still bought in and passionate about what we believe in which I still think there's a massive opportunity to educate yeah Um, so that's where we're at so that's that you can probably strip that back to a bit of, bit of goal setting that you guys done early on as um, I guess can still be a motivating factor of some of those shorter term and mid-term goals exactly. that you guys set yeah. to just reassess and see where you're at and try and find that yeah. uh, motivation again. Yeah, and that's the thing. We, we always look back to the purpose. Um, is there a need? Mm. Uh, is our purpose fulfilling the need? And I still think it is. Um, we, we went too hard, <laughs> probably me and myself went too hard on trying to make money initially yeah. as well. Um, and now we're just really focusing on delivering value, consistent value through a number of channels. So. Anything you'd change? Um, that's a good question. I probably not, to be honest. Um, because any way we went, we would have run into roadblocks and barriers, yeah. and uh, yeah, we it's would a story have every, It's a story of every exactly right. Um, the one thing that I'm very conscious of is accepting when we've made a mistake and yeah. assessing why we made that mistake and ensuring we pivot from it. So yeah. continuous improvement. Yeah, ultimately yeah. relentless prioritization, continuous yeah. improvement. That's what we're about. Yeah. Cool, so, man. Any other thing? Um, if you had, uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> All right, look, we know the listeners want a tip. Your last thousand bucks. What are you doing with it? <laughs> uh, this will be R-rated, I reckon. Um, no, I'll keep it. MA. Um, I probably wouldn't be spending a whole lot on myself. I'd be making sure all my mates are involved in that we're riffing in. <laughs> whatever riffing in involves. Yeah. Um, a, uh, that's what I've learned. You, you can earn the money. You, you can yep. save it, but... It's ultimately about experiences and those nights that you talk about for a Ooh. long time. So. Yep, we've had some expensive <laughs> nights and, and heard of it the next day, but um, yeah, go back out and do it all again in the next yeah, month. Exactly, say we'll never do it again. Yeah, <laughs> have a month off, we'll be back. Yeah, 
I think it's probably it's probably important to sort of I mean yourself and you know we talk about you know financial stability a lot but yeah. it's it's definitely important to to take a bit of your money and spend it on um, the things that you enjoy in life yeah. you know, whether that be sort of travel um, yeah. you know going out and having a big night or a combination of both those things like like you know as you know yourself you've done you've done a bit of traveling and mm. Yeah, in terms of, like in terms of spending money wisely, it's I mean travel is more of a self investment, isn't it? I mean yeah. you you basically know that, that you're going to lose that money and it's it's never coming back, yeah. but you're trading it for an experience and self improvement. Exactly. Now I know plenty of people my age that um are financially stable mm. but aren't happy. Um, yeah. Just haven't had good teenage years, and so yeah. I look back, I have no regrets. Plenty I could have. Should have learned along the way and probably have. Yeah, but, um, but you pick those lessons up. Exactly. Like when you're, you know, sort of when you're out and about on your own, and, and when you make those mistakes. Yeah. And I mean, when you make those financial mistakes of a three hundred dollar ATM withdrawal uh, <laughs> down at the nightclub, <laughs> you realise the, the financial impact that's going to have on you, um, particularly if you're on. Uh, you know, on a lower income, like you are yeah. at a younger age. But when I spend six hundred and twenty on the boys, <laughs> <laughs> it's money well spent. If you yeah. ask me. Uh, cool. All right, I'll stop it there. Um, oh, just before we stop, we'll probably try to do this once a fortnight or so. Yep. Really enjoyed it, mate. Appreciate it. No dramas. Thanks. Thank you. Me.